0: You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. We're talking about unlikely people in unlikely places. I have another great testimony I'm going to share with you today. But before we get there, I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 27, says this but God chose. But God chose. This is his choice. He chose those whom the world considers foolish to shame those who think they are wise. And he got, and God chose the puny and powerless to shame the high and the mighty. He chose the lowly, the laughable in the world's eyes. We're talking about he's describing what he sees and he's describing what the world sees. The world sees puny, tiny, laughable. God sees great. That's why we never let the world be our mirror because it's like walking into one of those those mirror places at at the state fair and everything's twisted. You're either too small, too short, too thin, too wide. You're You're either this or that, but it's all distorted. When you look at your life through what the world thinks, the culture of this world is the culture of the kingdom of darkness. And when we look through their eyes, it's always going to be deceived, Uh, deception and lies and distorted. But when you look at God and he's your mirror, then you'll see who you really are. You'll see who you really are. That's what he's saying. He said, laughable in the world's eyes, nobodies, so that he would shame the somebodies. For he chose what is regarded regarded as insignificant, In order to supersede what is regarded as prominent. This is in the world's eyes. So that there would be no place for prideful boasting in God's presence. For it is not from man that we draw our life, but from God. As we are being joined to Jesus, the anointed one. And now he is our God-given wisdom, our virtue, our holiness, and our redemption. And this fulfills what is written. If anyone boasts, let him only boast in all that the Lord has done. Let him boast in what the Lord has done. Wow, what a powerful message, but we're not done. Turn with me to Psalms 139. And as you're turning there, I just want to read a, a famous uh, a scripture that is quoted all the time by people because it's true. It's the word of God. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, for I know the plans. God has a plan. God has a plan. And you know what I love about God? God said, I do everything decently and in order. I mean everything he does is is decent and in order it's man it's just perfection and if you if you want to understand that look at nature how it performs how it functions how it's organized how it's orderly but he doesn't stop there he doesn't stop there I, you know people know I, I thoroughly enjoy looking at the beauty of what God has created. So uh, I have friends, uh, Ernie and Yoli Lopez, their son-in-law and daughter live in Alaska. And on their, on their balcony, on their second story, you see this beautiful mountain and the Aurora Borealis. G- green light. Is like, right. From, it looks like it's from here to the wall. I mean, just green lights all across. It's green. The whole sky is green it's it's a light reflection coming through the atmosphere at that at that at that uh, that northern level and so uh, of the world and so it's just beautiful and then they send me pictures of the mountains that's covered in snow and the beauty of the ocean and and man i just i look at that and i think god man your creativity and your beauty is am- is incredible then i have ralph kobos he sends me pictures of the of the sunset um, uh, because he lives west, he gives me pictures of the sunset. And then uh, the same couple, Ernie and, Ernie and Yoli, they send me pictures of the sunrise because they're on the east side. And so I see these beautiful pictures all the time and I look at those things all the time. I'll pull over on the side of the road and just look at it. I'll get out of my car. If you ever see me get out of the car just looking, I'm not looking for UFOs, I'm looking at the <laughs> beauty of God. I'm just looking at the beauty, I'm in awe. So not only does he do everything decently in order, not only does he have a plan to put your life in, in, to give your life some order, but then in the midst of that, he wants to make it beautiful too. That's how God plans. He plans order, he plans, he removes chaos and brings unity and harmony and then he adds his beauty to it. That's how God, that's the plan he has for your life. The question is, do we want it? Because if we want it, he'll give it to you. And so he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. You notice he didn't mention the past. Plans to give you hope is a confident expectation of something good happening. So he wants to give you hope, a confident expectation in the present, and you're looking to the future, but you're never looking back to your past. He puts that behind you. He said what Pastor Sean said. He wants to chase you down with his goodness. I know what it's like to look over my shoulder in calamity chasing me because I know what it's like to live in the world. And I also know what it's like, man, to know that the goodness of God is chasing me down. Can I tell you? That one's better. I, I'm a, this is, I know this is a great revelation. Uh, I know this will go out. This will be YouTube. Millions of people will start watching. They'll tweet it. They'll, they, I mean, I'm telling you, this is going to just blow up on social media. You ready? Those people online, just get ready. People in here, get ready. You're going to want to tweet this out. Good is better than bad. <laughs> just, just so you would know. Prosperity chasing you is better than calamity. God is good. The devil is bad. I know that's exploding right now on social media. What a revelation. But some of us need to get a hold of it. I said some of us need to get it. And those of you who do have a hold of it, you need to get a greater revelation of it. Let me read you this. Psalms 139. It says this You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned, there's that word planned again. Everybody say planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking about me. When's the last time you looked at God and said, God, I thank you because? you're thinking about me all the time. You're thinking about me all the time. Here's this next one. This just gets better. He said, how precious and wonder to consider. Now, this is King David writing. He's saying, he's saying listen, um, I'm, I'm, to consider something is to meditate on it, to think about it more than just a flashing thought, but to actually take time to really meditate, to really think about it. He said, he considers, he meditates on this thought. Listen to the thought he meditates on that you, God, cherish me. That you, God, cherish me. There's never a time that I say I love you to God that I don't say thank you for loving me even more. You know, Julie and I will do just silly stuff, man, that we do, Uh, and we'll say, I'll say I love you, and she'll say I love you you more, and I'll say I love you most, and she'll say I love you uh, more than that, and I'll say I love you infinity times infinity. Ends the argument, right? I win every time. But when I say, when's the last time you thought, God, I love you, and he looked back at you and said, I love you most, and you realized, you win. God, you win. You'll you'll love me more than I can ever possibly love you. You love me more right now than I could ever possibly love you. Cherish me. You know why it's so quiet in here? Because some of you have never thought that, never prayed that, never thanked God for that. Never. And that's why we don't always achieve the plan he has for our life. Because we don't have a great revelation of how much he loves us. We're constantly working on our love for him and we need to. But the only way to do that is to receive how much he loves you. Because it's out of his excess love that we love him back. Let me say that again. It's out of his excess, his overflow. That we love him back. I used to pray, God, I, I didn't grow up with this lovey-dovey household, and I, I don't really get a lot of the emotions of that, and I said, teach me. Teach me how to love you. Teach me what that word means, other than from a sexual standpoint. Teach me what love is, what real intimacy is. Teach me that. I don't know. I don't get it. I'm just a worldly guy. You know, I don't get that, and so he began to teach me. And how he taught me was he began to teach me how much he loved me and began to teach me what that was like. And out of his love for me, now the Bible says we love others because he shed his love in uh, He put his love in us. So he had, to, he, had to, he had to teach me how much he loved me and pour his love in me so I can turn it around and love him and love others. He taught me how, what love was. And it felt incredible and amazing, and it still is. And now he's teaching me how much he cherishes me. And he wants me to think about it. He wants me to consider how much he loves me. And I'm going to say this, why why this is so important, because it inspires me to want to honor him and please him. Because of Julie's love and belief in me, it inspires me to want to be a better husband. I mean, she sends me out the door, and she can't help it. She pats me on the butt and says, go get him, honey. She can't help herself. Except she doesn't say, honey. She says, stud, go get him, stud. I say that because I'm hoping she really does that sometime. (laughs) But, uh, but... She she really, she believes in me and she loves me and my kids, my sons look at me and they believe in me and love me and it inspires me. It doesn't inspire me to run away from them and say, oh man, it's too much pressure. No, it inspires me to say, I wanna live up to that. The calling on my life to pastor, man, the love that God would have for me to allow me the privilege of doing this, it's amazing. It's like, Me? Sometimes I feel the way people who knew me from the past feel like, you? And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why you'd question that. Because I question it too, but I'll tell you one person who doesn't, that's my father. He doesn't question it. He called me to it and said, I don't question it, I love you, I called you to do this. So I just received that. I just receive it. I embrace it. And it doesn't inspire me to run from my responsibilities as a pastor. It inspires me to live at a higher level. It inspires me to be better a better pastor. I'll never quit working on it. I'll never, ask Julie, I'm never not working on being a better pastor. I'm never not working on being a better Christian. I'm never not working on being a better son, a better husband, a better father. It's just my life. That's my life. And that didn't, it doesn't weigh me down like, oh, I just got to keep on working. No, life's about that. You know, I love one of the pastors at the conference said, he's, a, he's 6'6", 265, man, he's, and he's ripped. And he pastors a church in Texas, and he said, choose your heart. It's hard to be overweight. It is. I've been there. And it's hard to be get in shape. Choose your heart. Choose your heart. It's hard to be poor, and it's really hard to be prosperous. Choose your heart. Just choose which one you want, because it's going to be hard either way. Choose the hard you want. It's hard to be disciplined, and it's really hard to be undisciplined, because it's going to make your life hard. I choose the hard of doing the right things, because then you'll get the good things back. Instead, of the heart of doing the wrong things and getting the wrong things back. We have to choose this. We have to choose to understand and begin to consider. And again, the reason it's quiet, because I I bet you, you have never taken time just to sit back and meditate and say, God, it freaks me out how much you love me. This is what David said. He actually sang, this was actually a song. He said, how precious and wonderful to consider to meditate that you cherish me constantly in every thought. And someone might say, what an ego David had. This is an ego. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is truth. He would sit around and think, no wonder he could kill a giant. No wonder he could be a king. No wonder he could defeat armies. No wonder he could overcome his own sin because he knew God loved him. He would sit around and think about it. God, I'm singing a song about how much you love me and how much you think about me all the time. What in it? He was inspired by it. It didn't inspire him to do wrong. It inspired him to do right. And even when he did wrong, it inspired him to get it right. Just understanding. We need a revelation of how much God loves us. We're talking about unlikely people in unlikely places. And when someone just receives and says, God, oh man, you love me most. There's no way I can equal it. But your love for me, your belief in me, that you have a plan, that you have a destiny for me, inspires me to want to reach for it. Inspires me to want to be better. He said, how precious to... to, and wonderful to consider, to meditate, that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. That word desire, a lot of times the word desire, we take it in a, with a sexual connotation, but the word desire means a passionate, like that kind of, of, of love. He's saying, man, you, your thoughts, you desire a relationship with me. You have a passionate love for me. You have a passionate plan for me. You love me that much. It's a passionate love. Wow. And that needs to be our inspiration. It needs to be our inspiration to receive his purpose and his plan that we say, not my will, but your will be done, God, because your will is so much bigger than mine, so much better than mine, so much more awesome than mine. And our names, our names might not be written in the history of Roswell or the history of where you work or the history of the nation or the world. Most of our names are not going to be written there, but your name will be written in the history of heaven. It's called the book of life. Your name is written there. And your story will be forever told there. You'll be famous in heaven. Maybe not in this world, but you'll be famous in heaven. For living out the plan of God for your life, I'm going to read to you a testimony from one of the ladies who attends our church. And uh, this is Crystal Rojas's story. Is Crystal here? Crystal, you here anywhere? I'll see. Is she here? Wave your hand, Crystal, if you're here. I didn't know if she's going to be in this service or if she was in the last one. Anyway, so this is Crystal Rojas's story. I want you just to sit back and take this in. I came into this world with a broken family. I was born in Los Angeles, California, where just a few days later I was released along with my biological mother, who soon after giving birth to me became homeless. My mother was dealing with mental health and substance abuse issues, and my biological father was nowhere in the picture. As a small baby, I lived out of a car along with my older three siblings until we could find a home. Due to this, I was forced to temporarily separate from my oldest two siblings, and they went to live with a family with family so my mother could focus on getting her life together. But this temporary separation ended up being a lifelong separation as, as this was only the start of the darkness that was to plague my life. After a few months, we finally got to live in an actual home only to have what seemed like the walls crumbling in on me. My life was what you would describe as misery at best. I was forced to endure many different forms of abuse, physical, emotional, mental, and sexual abuse from a small child until until I was 13 years old. But even worse, I don't know what could be worse than that, but there was. I had to witness my siblings going through the same type of abuse because her mom had multiple other children. I had to witness my mother in domestic violence situations as both the victim and abuser. There was was a daily routine that embodied the very essence of darkness. I I was awoken with yelling, punches, kicks, and beatings with a wooden broom that went on all day long. Can you imagine waking up at five to someone hitting you with a broomstick kicking you. You'll find out here in just a moment, she describes that her bed was the floor. That's why they could kick her. And this happened from as early on as she has a memory. I slept on a cold tile floor with my closest friends were the cockroaches crawling around me and on me. I was not allowed to have a pillow, but was grateful to have a blanket when allowed. My entire day continued with nonstop screaming and physical abuse. She didn't have a bed till after she was 13. Didn't have a pillow. Bad enough, uh, nonstop screaming and physical abuse, bad enough that it landed me in the hospital. I was starved a lot of the time, and when I was allowed to eat, I had to eat in a specific order, such as clockwise or by mixing all my food together. I was never allowed to eat at the table, as I was seen as a servant and referred to as a slave. When I was allowed to eat, I had to eat while cleaning or could not eat at all. I would hide food in the cupboards or anywhere I could, so I could just survive. I often hid while ate because I knew if I was caught eating, I would be beaten even more than usual. I wasn't even allowed to look in the mirror at my reflection because if I did, I was called a whore. But even at the age of seven, they called me that over and over again. I didn't even know what the word whore was. As a young child, I had to clean the entire house from corner to corner. I was never good enough because I also had to care for my four siblings as my mother was too drugged up to care for herself. Life was horrific and endless sorrows as a very young child I had given up all hope and began, harming, began harmful behaviors to try to escape from the real pain. Spiritually, I grew closer and closer to the darkness and began actually worshiping the devil at a very young age at about seven. It was so bad she turned to the devil for help. I thought maybe this was the answer. Maybe my agony can finally be quenched, but it was not. The abuse only got worse, and I was tortured with evil thoughts and visions. Visions. I was not brought up in a family that went to church and would only talk about God, but they were hypocrites. This pushed me even further away from God as I wanted nothing to do with my so-called parents. I remember visiting my grandmother, and she would speak the word of God and read the Bible to me and tell me God loves me. I would think, how could anyone love me? I am unlovable. I'm not lovable. My, But deep in my soul, I felt the joy and truth. I felt joy and truth from this. Like it ministered to her. Never forsake seeds. Never forsake them. Her grandmother planted a seed. After a few months of the physical, emotional, mental, and sex, sexual abuse increasing, I finally gave it all up. I pleaded with God to give me... a. To, to forgive me and, and, and since then, um, I became a true believer in Christ. Although the abuse continued, I was greeted with a stillness and peace among the chaos. I only, my only escape in life was school. When I was allowed to go, half the time. I was kept home to care for my siblings, serve my stepdad, make all the meals, clean the house, and care for my mother. When I was able to go to school, I was happy, although my school life wasn't much better than my home life. Kids often bullied me for being stupid because I quickly found myself falling behind in school and needing additional support. I wasn't allowed to... attend school most of the time. But when I was, I was in special education classes to try to help me catch up. But this only gave the bullies even more of a reason to make fun of me. I was tormented for things like torn clothes and poor hygiene. What they didn't know is that my clothes usually came from well-used donations or shopping or the lost and found. What they didn't know was that I was not allowed to shower or brush my teeth. I remember often being embarrassed because I was regularly sent to the nurse's office and given a hygiene kit, which was of little help since I was not allowed to use it at home. However, However, even though through all this, I knew I was mostly safe for the time being, being at school. I knew I had food and access to some safe adults who seemed to care about me. As the time passed, my fear and anxiety grew. With each tick of the clock, I knew my time to go back to the dreaded place I had to call home was getting closer and closer. I was a prisoner in my own home and couldn't even leave if I wanted to. I had to be there to care for my siblings and protect them. Even if that meant that the endless suffering of physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, even if that did mean the possibility of death, as my life was constantly threatened with a loaded gun to my face while my own mother stood and watched, her stepfather would put a gun to her head. On a regular basis and threatened to kill her. Then one day when I was 13 years old, I finally had enough. On a particularly bad day, I ran from my abusers to get to, to get safety. I tried to get help. Uh, before I ran, but everything was locked behind me, and the door was blocked by the bodies of my abusers. I tried to call 911, only to have the phone cord ripped from the phone jack and broken. I tried to get my mother's cell phone to call, but that was taken and shattered across the floor. I then jumped out of a window and ran to the neighbors to get help. Well, at my neighbors, the police were called, and they arrived shortly after. I then told them everything except for the sexual abuse that my siblings and I were enduring and being forced to, to be part of because she was too ashamed to tell them. I showed the police my cuts and bruises caused by the abuse. My parents reported to the police that I was the issue and I was a troublemaker That I, and stated that um, I made myself, I gave myself the abuses and cuts and would fight with my siblings. The police started uh, stated I needed to behave and go with my parents, fearing for my life because I knew exactly what was in store for me if I had to go back home. I finally made the choice to disclose the sexual abuse. I told them, with tears streaming down my face, that I was sexually abused since I was a toddler, and I've had wit- and I've had to witness my sister being raped with my when my mom knew about it. Once I disclosed this, CYFD was called, and shortly after. Me, uh, my older sister was taken into CYF custody, and soon after, all four of my siblings were taken to CYFD. While going into foster care, I was worried about where I would live, who would care for me. Would my siblings be okay? Would anyone ever love us? The investigator explained that she would do all she could to help us, and she took her time to listen to our story. She was open and honest with us and, and, and distraught as well, uh, no, and let us know that they didn't have any foster families for us because no one wanted to take teenagers. I couldn't help but to feel distraught as I would never know the love of a family, the love of a mom and dad. The investigator found a relative for us to live with, which soon after we were removed from. I then lived from one shelter and group home to the next. I wasn't a bad kid. I was just forced to go through unspeakable acts. And it seemed like I was the one still being punished, like all the abuse and neglect I endured was somehow my fault. I started to think maybe my parents were right. Maybe I am stupid, ugly, worthless. Maybe I will never amount to anything. But I knew this couldn't be the case because through everything I I never truly felt alone. Even through my darkest of times, I felt a supernatural presence with me, a presence that helped me to know that I was never alone, would never be fatherless. It was then that I finally got to see the beauty of life. Although I hated CYFD in the beginning because I needed someone to blame at the time until I could better grow my own coping skills, I eventually grew to love them. I knew it was because of them and the pure supernatural presence of God that I am alive today. Through my foster care journey, I was able to make several connections, people that actually seemed to care about me, although I was separated from my younger siblings and did not get to visit them often. I made friends, and group home staff became like family. My CYFD worker became like my mom. My boyfriend's family, now my husband, became like my family, my casa youth attorney and judge became like my aunts and uncles, and God remained my true father. I got connected with an advocacy group, made up of current and former foster youth, and I fought alongside them to have a voice for the voiceless. My past sufferings only fed my desire to help others. The very evil that was once was once put. I was put through, gave life to beauty in the world. I knew that all I was forced to experience was not for nothing. There was a higher reason, and I was more determined than ever to make this world a better place. Wow. God says he takes ashes and makes something beautiful. That's exactly what he's done. I graduated from high school without any special education services, made the varsity wrestling team, and went to college full-time while working full-time in five short years. I graduated with a 4.0 GPA in the highest honors, and she's gone on. She graduated that with a master's. She graduated with a master's degree in social work. I now work at CYFD. Just last week, she was promoted to bureau chief of youth services just last week. Crystal was promoted. Her goal was to make systematic change to improve the foster care system and help make a positive difference in the lives of our youth. She's she's truly ministered and helped hundreds of children just like her now. You're talking about God taking an unlikely person in an unlikely place turning a life around. I now have a family of my own and three beautiful children, two of which are my nephews that my husband and I took in happily and became their forever family. I no longer wonder why me, I would not take back my past for anything as that made me the person I am today. It gave me an opportunity to share my story with others and to help them see their own greatness. It helped me to find my calling to help others in similar situations. I can tell you that I am no longer that scared little girl girl worrying about her next meal. No, that homeless little baby no longer has to worry about where to lay her head down at night. She was able to seek forgiveness, comfort, love, and family through God. So never stop fighting. Never stop believing. Hold tight to your faith. Face face Goliath and know that God is there and has not forgotten you. Be the speck of light and share your light in good news with others. Yes, I once was lost, but through God's grace and mercy, now I am found. Crystal... At 13 she began to attend 180 and shortly after she was taken and put into a group home in Hobbs but she made her way back to Roswell. And at 20 she realized, man, I'm I'm real inconsistent in church. I'm not doing all I'm supposed to be doing. God's been so good to me. So she came back to church on the move and she was one of those people when I say, if you just need another chance, God's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. If you just need another chance, I'm one of those people. She raised her hand and prayed. And she took hold of that, that chance, that other chance. She serves, she tithes, she gives, she, she's ministered. I mean, she is, her and her family are all in. Here's, here's my question for you. Some of you can't relate. Some of you can relate. And some of you can't relate. You had a good home. Maybe you had a Christian home. Here's my question to you. What are you doing? If Crystal can come out of the ass, you can't. I don't know of a worse childhood. To be raped systematically by your stepdad while your mom looks on. To, to not have a bed till you're 13 years old. To sleep on the floor without a pillow and maybe have a blanket. That your cockroaches crawling on you. Were your friends... To watch your siblings do it, have that happen to them too, to have to witness that. Most people are so traumatized and we have all these words, so triggered, so this, so that. They don't recover. They have such PTSD. It's, oh, their life is nothing but trying to battle their own demons. Man, no, because of the grace of God, he defeats the demons. But he doesn't just do that. God never just defeats darkness. He pours the light in you and through you just like he did crystal. So how dare any of us that have not had a life like this not do more? Not do more. How dare us not do more? How dare us not give? How dare us not serve? How dare us? In light of her testimony, that should inspire us. Those who've had a good parents or a good home are just better than this. Man, we should all stand up and say, God, count me in. I'm all in. This isn't some story of some person that lives in New York or some person somewhere else. She lives here. She goes to church here. She's all in, making a difference. Man, I love this testimony. We overcome the the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I hope, and I have one more week of, of teaching on this. I hope this is inspiring you. If God cherish you constantly, if God be for you, man, let's Let's do something great again. It might not be great in the world's eyes. It might, you might not get your name in the paper, but it'll be great to your family. It'll be great to the person you help. It'll be great to that orphan in Mexico. It'll be great to that kid in foster care. It'll be great to your wife and your kids. It'll be great to your grandkids. It'll be great for your family. Let's do something great. Let's honor God and have our name written in the history of heaven forever and ever and ever. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Listen, every eye closed here and online, every eye closed there. Just remove distractions. If you're in your home, man, just remove some distractions for just a moment right here. Let's just think. I'm going to do two prayers today. So after the first one, don't check out on me because we're going to pray another one. But the first one, we always put first things first. And Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And he's been seeking you today. The reason you're sitting in here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord is because he's seeking you. He's pursuing you. You're not pursuing him, but he's pursuing you. Because he loves you more. What's crazy about God, crazy cool, is that he loved me when I was his enemy and he loved you too. And those of you who are his enemy, you've been his enemy. You are his enemy maybe right now. Because you're working against him in your life and the lives of others, not for him. I was there, Crystal was there, but he loved loved me when I was an enemy. He loves you right now. He loves you as an enemy more than you'll ever love him as a friend, as the Lord, he'll love you even more. The question is, is this, do you believe the God of the universe, before you saw the light of day, has a plan for you? Do you believe that he loved you so much that he sent his only, only begotten son? His only, only son he birthed directly through a human being. He, by his spirit, he spoke Jesus into existence in Mary's womb. Jesus gave his life for us his holy blood for our sorry sinful blood hung on a cross and died for us descended three days into paradise and hell for us and then rose from the dead for us to save my life, your life. God's pursuing you through this message. He's pursuing you through this testimony. He's pursuing you. Now the question is, are you going to pursue him? And if you want to pursue him, then this is how you do it. You pray with us. We'll lead you in a prayer. I didn't know how to pray. That's why I always lead a prayer. I was so grateful someone led me in a prayer. It's so on the only first prayer I ever prayed. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to pray. I just knew I needed to pray. So I'll lead you in a prayer. If you've never prayed this, and ask God to forgive you of your sins and say, Jesus, you're the Lord anyway, but now you're the Lord of my life. And as he gave his life for you, you give your life back to him, for him, to live for him. save your life. He won't let you waste your life. He won't let selfishness dominate you anymore. He'll stop being just a taker and you'll become a giver. you will stop, be stop being a curse to, to your own life and sabotaging your own stuff. And you might be wealthy and successful and have a title. It don't matter. You, you know, you're, still, you're sabotaging your relationships. You're sabotaging your health. You're just still sabotaging your life. You might have everything on the surface looks like it's all in order, but you know on the inside, you're dead. Your money can't buy you that life either. Your success, your title. And for those of you on the other other end of that spectrum and you see your life as ashes, you see what God did when he breathed life into a little 13-year-old girl crying out for help, a little girl crying out for help. You see how he took those ashes of her life and made it beautiful. He'll do the same for you. So no matter what position of life you're in and where you're at, whether you're here presently, physically, or online, or watching next week, listen, God is pursuing you, and if you've never prayed, this is your moment, this is your time, this is your day of salvation, the day of salvation that you're saved from your own sin and your own life and your own selfishness and God gives you a life worth living here and giving away in the life forever in heaven and delivers you from the destruction of selfishness here and forever in hell. Today's the day. Today's your day if you so choose it. So if that's you and you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, to receive the forgiveness of God, spirit of God to change your life forever. If you've never done that, we want to pray with you right now. But also, just like Crystal, just like me, just like so many of you, maybe you just need another chance. Because God's not a God of a second chance. He's a God of another chance. Maybe you just need another chance and you need to pray right now too. So whether it's your first time or your next time, online, I'm going to ask you. Don't even hesitate to do this. If you're able to, send us a message and say, I prayed for the first time or the next time. It's really important that you tell somebody and you acknowledge it. And in this room, I'm going to ask you to acknowledge it by doing this. On the count of three, you raise your hand and say, God, it's me. I'm not ashamed. I need to get right with you. Then put that hand down. Send that text now. And in this room, on the count of three, raise your hand. And right where you are seated, we'll pray. Right where you're at online. Right where you are here. One, two, three. Raise your hand and say it's me. I'm gonna get right with God before I get here. Thank you. 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 Oh, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. That's so cool. Let's pray together with them. And then I have one more prayer before we get out of here, okay? Stick with me. So pray this with, the, with those who raise their hand. And those who raise your hand, man, God's right here. He's omnipresent because he's always available for you. He's right here right now with you. Pray this, say, Father, I believe you are a father. And you're the father of Jesus. You sent him to earth to die for my sins. You raised him from the dead, and you defeated sin and death that was lording itself over me. No more, no more. Because I believe that, that you're a father and God as well. And that Jesus did that to save my life. I ask you in Jesus' name to forgive me of all my sins. And I receive it, your forgiveness, a full pardon from you right now. And by an act of my will, I forgive those who hurt me. And because of that, I say to you, Jesus, you gave your life for me to save me. Now I give you my life. You are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. And I receive the power of the Holy Spirit to change my life, teach me, guide me, instruct me, show me your plan, show me your will for my life. Thank you, Father, for saving me. In Jesus' name, so be it. Now I want everyone else to pray this. Say this. Say, God, my Father, our Father, I say to you today that I'm grateful where you've brought me, but I want to go further. Father, I want to lay down my life more today so that I will fulfill your plan to bless me to be a blessing. So today, I dedicate my life even more to fulfill your destiny your plan for me. And I thank you for showing me more, showing me more. And I thank you that you cherish me constantly with every thought. You love me, and your love inspires me to be a curse breaker and a blessing giver on a higher level. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. So be it. And with a warrior shout, say, amen. Amen. Come on. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.